Chapters three and four of Miss Philura's Wedding Gown by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three. Mr. Pettibone gazed at Miss Philura in puzzled silence for the space of a minute. The under shepherd of the Innisfield Presbyterian Church, as Mrs. Van Duser had once called him, was not blessed with a very keen sense of humour. He strove unsuccessfully to imagine the theological concept of deity to which he had been taught to pray in carefully constructed sentences as interested in the black and purple brocade. He shook his head. Then he took Miss Philura's toil-worn hand in his own and patted it gently. Do I think God is interested in clothes, he repeated. Why, really... Somehow or other, a certain pregnant saying concerning a millstone and the deep sea flashed across his troubled mind. Our Lord, in his various discourses, certainly mentioned garments oh, more than once, he went on presently. Miss Villiora's blue eyes sparkled. I knew you'd say so, she murmured happily. Um, the wedding garment in the parable, pursued the minister, referring to his mental concordance of scripture texts, the robe of state which was brought forth for the returned prodigal, and... Um, the lilies of the field, suggested Miss Philura timidly. Jesus said that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. She glanced sideways at the chrysanthemums which glistened in their bridal snows beneath the yellow light of the lamp. True, said the minister. He gazed thoughtfully at the rather shabby clothes he was wearing. They were his preaching clothes of three years before last. Mr. Pettibone always wore preaching clothes of different degrees of shabbiness, for the very good reason that he could afford no others. He even wore a very ancient and disreputable long-tailed frock-coat and black trousers dating back into obscurity when working about the garden and in the cellar. He called these garments his working togs and wore them cheerfully. But down deep in some half-smothered bit of consciousness lurked a carnal weakness for masculine purple and fine linen. He had once met an eminent Boston divine clad in a worldly suit of tweeds, enlivened still further by a cravat of deep red. Mr. Pettibone, attired as usual in his third-best preaching clothes, devoted to pastoral calls and other weekday duties, was conscious of an almost sinful admiration of Dr. Bentley's spruce person though he told himself that he could never approve worldliness and the appearance of pomp and fashion in a man of God. That expression, a man of God, had taken great hold upon Silas Pettibone from his youth up. Almost unconsciously, he had pictured this ideal personage as solemnly and decorously attired in more or less rusty black of the long-tailed variety. True said the minister, after mentally reviewing his wardrobe filled with graded suits of ministerial cut. Then he sighed. Solomon in all his glory must have had some splendid clothes, continued Miss Philura. 
taking up her scissors again to attack a long seam of the black and purple dress. Red, maybe, and pink, and blue, and... and white. Her brown head drooped over the sombre stuff she was ripping. She didn't even glance at Mr. Pettibone's third best preaching suit. And Jesus said, went on the hesitating sweet voice, he said, how much more shall he clothe you? O ye of little faith, added the minister, finishing the quotation almost mechanically and from force of habit. And that must mean that if we only had faith enough, God would give us all the clothes we needed, cried Miss Philura jubilantly. Well, quite possibly, admitted the minister. Prettier clothes than Solomon's, persisted Miss Philura, casting a black and purple strip upon the floor. Because, you know, lilies of the field are more beautiful than silk or satin. And so, inferred the minister logically, you don't intend to wear a dress of this material on the occasion of our marriage. And he waved a rhetorical hand towards the crumpled heap to which Mrs. J. Mortimer Van Duser's erstwhile robe of state had become reduced. Miss Philura looked up at him shyly. He was smiling at her almost humorously. Oh, no, she said, with the girlish blush he had noticed before flitting across her face. And what then is the wedding garment to be, pursued the minister, if I am not overstepping the bounds to inquire? She paused, hesitated, and then bent towards him almost beseechingly. You don't think I'm too, um, too old to wear white? Too old? repeated the minister wonderingly. It was impossible to think of little Miss Philura as of anything which the passing years had used unkindly. You are not too old, he said with decision, to wear any beautiful robe, and you never will be. Electa Pratt will say I am, murmured Miss Philura with a suppressed sigh, and so I'm afraid will everybody else. But if you don't think so... I shall love to see you in a white dress, he assured her quietly. It will be, he added firmly, entirely suitable and becoming. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 Out of the mouths of babes, quoted the Reverend Silas Pettibone to himself as he walked home beneath the mild radiance of the stars. He was referring to Miss Philura, a babe in Christ, as he scripturally termed her. Surely no grown man or woman of his acquaintance possessed so rare and simple a faith. Miss Philura, he told himself, with a pleasant feeling of warmth about a heart chilled with loneliness and his own stern concepts of the dealings of what he was pleased to term divine providence, Miss Philura is one woman in ten thousand and altogether lovely. Mr. Pettibone found himself thinking of Miss Philura's wedding gown with pardonable enthusiasm. He was glad it was to be white. White, he told himself, was the one proper garb for so fair, so pure, so sweet a woman. 
angels wore white continuously he had been led to believe then quite simply and gravely even in his thoughts this good man was always simple and grave he thought of his dead wife she had been gone from him many years and a wreath of memories lay against the closed door in his heart which bore the name mary it was another life he looked back upon from this crest of the years he saw himself as he had been in those first years of his ministry and mary no he hadn't forgotten he could never forget but the road was long and very very lonely surely she would not grudge him the solace of companionship she who was safe folded behind the jasper walls of a distant paradise the parsonage gate clanged behind him Deacon Scrimger's dog barked vociferously from his kennel. The minister, pausing upon his own doorstep, looked up into the sky, sparkling with stars between the leafless branches of the elms. I hope I'm doing right, he murmured humbly. We're both alone, you know. In the bright light of morning, streaming through the windows of his study, the Reverend Silas Pettibone changed the subject of his evening discourse to the state of the saved after death. His morning sermon on sanctification by faith took on a practical turn which astonished the members of his congregation. Miss Philura, still pilloried in the singer's seat behind the pulpit, listened with a secret rapture which she was not altogether successful in hiding. She could not help hearing the stealthy rustle of Elector Pratt's taffeta petticoat beside her. It was a disapproving rustle, she felt, so was the lavish display of highly scented pocket handkerchief with which Miss Pratt chafed the tip of her reddened nose. Electa's nose always reddened when she was angry, like the wattles of a turkey. Sounds to me like Christian science, was Miss Pratt's biting comment as the two ladies descended from the choir loft. The idea of telling about a man's asking the Lord for a barrel of potatoes. You needn't tell me you haven't been trying to fill him up with the stuff you heard in Boston. It's in the Bible, said Miss Philura tremulously. Philura Rice, you know very well the word potato isn't in the Bible at all. How dare you say such a thing? Oh, I didn't mean potatoes. I meant faith. That's in the Bible. And it's, it, well, it's for potatoes or anything people need oh yes and feathers and clothes and engagement rings maybe scoffed miss pratt who had of late observed the glitter of a modest ring on miss philura's finger good morning elector good morning philura intoned a majestic voice are you discussing the sermon it will bear discussion it seems to me miss philura glanced up into the forbidding eyes of the tall, massive lady who had joined them at the foot of the stair. "'Good morning, Mrs. Buckthorn,' she said weakly. "'Yes, what did you think of it?' chimed in Miss Pratt. "'I was just telling Philura. I thought it sounded like Christian science. But, of course, Philura—' "'Oh, I trust not!' exclaimed Mrs. Buckthorn, wagging her head which was surmounted by a lofty structure of black and white, pinnacled by a tuft of dispirited-looking feathers. 
she had the air of one who successfully denies the world the flesh and the devil christian science my dear elector is neither christian nor scientific as i have always said really it frightens me to hear you mention it in connection with our pastor no no mrs buckthorn shook her head with closed eyes presently she opened them with a snap i was grieved to hear that you've been drawn away from the truth of late philura miss philura's lips parted but she didn't speak instead she glanced reproachfully at elector pratt you've been in my sabbath school class for more than ten years philura pursued mrs buckthorn and i'm sure you never learn to pray for silk petticoats from me no admitted miss philura i never did i've invited the minister to dinner to-day for the express purpose of holding holy converse on the subject of this morning's sermon mrs buckthorn said mournfully we should not forget that there is a great gulf fixed between the church and the world i shall pray for you philura oh thank you murmured miss philura in a small faint voice whom the lord loveth he chasteneth quoted mrs buckthorn sourly i fear you have not been under the rod of late judging from what i hear the lady closed her eyes and drew a sibilant sigh from the depths of her being pilgrims in this vale of tears should not indulge in pleasure she said in a hollow voice nor follow the foolish and fleeting fashions of worldlings miss philura could not help noticing that mrs buckthorn's silk gown while cut after a fashion entirely unbecoming to her stout figure made undoubted concessions to the prevailing mode what do you propose to be married in inquired mrs buckthorn in a hollow tone my wedding dress is to be white said miss philura almost defiantly white echoed mrs buckthorn in an unbelieving tone oh surely not white white cried miss elector pratt oh well i declare <laughs> and then she giggled disagreeably i suppose you'll wear a veil and carry a shower bouquet miss philura reflected a moment no i think not she said calmly i shall wear chrysanthemums white ones mrs buckthorn shook her head oh, think better of it philura she advised compassionately at your time of life oh, yes and marrying a widower at that shrilled miss electra my i wouldn't think of such a thing for a moment a nice drab alpaca said mrs buckthorn antiphonally trimmed with bias folds added miss pratt mrs buckthorn nodded approval bias folds are always in good taste you will be glad you took my advice later on whereat miss elector laughed aloud and mrs buckthorn looked shocked you should remember where you are my dear elector she chided philura never takes anybody's advice sniffed miss pratt 
i had to laugh at the very idea then she'll never do for a minister's wife was mrs buckthorn's well-founded opinion but miss philura had drawn her skirts away from the rain-washed steps and was literally fleeing from the wrath to come that afternoon when the reverend mr pettibone had with difficulty escaped from the heart-to-heart conversation which followed what was known as our sabbath repast in the buckthorn family and which invariably consisted of cold roast mutton and pallid pie flanked by pickles of an exceedingly acid sort the reverend gentleman was in a particularly thoughtful frame of mind it had been borne in upon him that in marrying miss philura he was not merely securing to himself a helpmeet to companion his solitude but also and more particularly he was providing his parish with that useful indeed almost indispensable adjunct a minister's wife we've been hoping that you'd marry again mr pettibone said mrs buckthorn majestically but i confess that i was never more surprised than when i heard of your engagement to philura rice um, <laughs> murmured the minister noncommittally well, if it had been Electa Pratt now, she's such a capable person. Or the Widow Green, she's very pious and could lead the female prayer meetings. But Philura, as I told Mr. Buckthorn, you could have knocked me over with a feather. This, in view of Mrs. Buckthorn's massive proportions, was a forceful statement. The minister showed his appreciation of it by moving uneasily in his chair and by the quick nervous gesture with which he rumpled his iron-grey hair oh really he murmured vaguely and then as mrs buckthorn still regarded him fixedly in obvious expectation of a reply he expressed himself in handsome terms as being grateful for his parishioner's kind interest in his welfare but i think you will find the future mrs pettibone quite equal to any duties which may fall to her lot he concluded forcefully mrs buckthorn hoped so with the air and manner of a person who expresses belief in the millennium it was shortly after this that the minister had taken leave of his hostess with a dignity and decision which admitted of no further conversation mrs buckthorn had indeed followed him quite to the verge of the threshold intending to express her views on the subject of the wedding but mr pettibone had taken his hat from the rack had put it on his head and was halfway down the front walk before the excellent lady had time to more than mention the all-important subject of miss philura's wedding dress which burned for eloquent utterance oh yes um yes indeed the minister had said hastily verbum sap you know thank you very much good-bye what on earth did he mean by mentioning sap to me i'd like to know mrs buckthorn inquired acidly of her spouse who was as might have been expected a small meek and generally voiceless person sap echoed mr buckthorn blinking pacifically at his consort sap well now i've heard of such a thing as a sap head <laughs> maybe he meant benjamin buckthorn intoned the lady 
do you suppose for a minute that any man would dare to apply such an epithet to me oh no no lizzie of course not i only started to say but mr buckthorn rarely finished what he had to say he did not on this occasion for usual and entirely sufficient reasons mr pettibone by now arrived at the parsonage did not at once apply himself to meditations suited to the further development of his evening's discourse instead he walked about the ministerial domicile gazing at all that he saw with unaccustomed eyes his recent conversation with miss philura on the subject of the wedding dress added to mrs buckthorn's pungent remarks of the afternoon had served to bring the fact of his approaching nuptials very clearly before mr pettibone's mind it had seemed a very simple and natural arrangement to the minister two lonely persons living heretofore under two roofs would henceforth dwell under one to the great comfort and mutual advantage of the lonely persons it was apparent even to the minister that to miss philura the change was to be a very grave one she would be ruthlessly uprooted from the quiet nook where she had dwelt as unobserved as a violet under a leaf and set in the full glare of a public opinion more pitiless and scorching than the fiery eye of the sun in midsummer he wondered if miss philura realized this as he was beginning to do he wondered too if he would be able to shelter her from the harsh criticisms which he foresaw would fall to her lot could he solace her bruised spirit was it in short going to be worth while for miss philura the minister was a modest man and quite unaware as yet of the real state of miss philura's sentiments towards himself so he passed a very bad quarter of an hour during which he arraigned himself severely for a variety of misdeeds and shortcomings chief among which was his own carnal selfishness in venturing to covet miss philura's affections and the solace of her companionship such meditations are apt to be short-lived with the most altruistic of mankind in the end the reverend silas pettibone by a series of logical arguments had succeeded in convincing himself of the truth namely that miss philura needed him as much as he needed her also he metaphorically snapped his fingers in the general direction of Elector Pratt, the Widow Green, and Mrs. Deaconess Buckthorn. He, Silas Pettibone, was the pastor of the Innisfield Presbyterian Church, and he meant to perform the duties of his position in the future as in the past, with unswerving fidelity, not to say painful conscientiousness. But and he smote the blotting-pad on his study-table with forensic force and suddenness he was also a man and entitled by all the primal prerogatives of his sex to select his own mate mentally he defied the ladies aid society the session of the church the parish and the world at large singly and collectively he would wed miss philura and defend her peace and happiness against all comers having arrived at this soul-satisfying conclusion the minister arose from his chair and again began pacing the floor what a wonderful little woman miss philura was he always called her miss philura in his musings 
and how illuminating were her interpretations of scripture really he had never adequately appreciated the matter of king solomon's apparel he allowed his mind to wander vaguely among the presumably gorgeous vestments of that long defunct monarch pink she had specified and red and gold and blue undoubtedly she was right and he sighed as he recalled the many well-worn long-tailed frock-coats which constituted his own wardrobe then quite naturally it would seem he began to take dubious note of the condition of the room in which he had passed so many studious hours it was come to look at it in the strong afternoon light an exceedingly shabby place the wallpaper for example mr pettibone jerked the window shades to the top of the casement with an impatient hand really he murmured i didn't realize how dilapidated everything is he recalled now that jane stiles his housekeeper had drawn his attention to the roof of the back kitchen which leaked all over her clean floor every time it rained and to the lack of paint on the kitchen cupboards he had mentioned the subject of necessary repairs on the parsonage to elder trimmer the president of the board of trustees and had been told that lack of funds would prevent any expenditures of the sort he had told jane stiles of this adverse decision and she had sniffed a comprehensive disbelief i guess they'll find their parsonage a tumbling about their ears if they leave it be long enough was her unasked opinion mr pettibone making a leisurely survey of the ministerial residence on this occasion was forced to concur in miss stiles verdict the parsonage needed fresh paint paper and plenishings mr pettibone recalled once more miss philura's unquestioning faith in the all-encircling good mr pettibone's god while not far off had never appeared to him to be closer than breathing and nearer than hands or feet he thought of his god habitually as inhabiting eternity which he conceived to be a state very far removed from earthly life it had appeared a species of irreligion to acquaint this exalted deity with any of the sordid details of one's pilgrimage through a veil of tears the state of one's individual soul and the souls of the parish had lain heavily on mr pettibone's heart so had the condition of the heathen in foreign lands he frequently besought his god with eloquence and fervour in behalf of the president of the united states and for all legislative bodies now convened but it had not heretofore occurred to him to mention before what he habitually alluded to as the throne of grace the arrears in his salary his pressing need of a new preaching suit or the dilapidated condition of the parsonage he dropped into his study chair and opened his bible ye have not because ye ask not stared at him accusingly from the page End of chapter four